to New Books and Poetry. I'm your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Before I even knew that I'd be hosting this podcast, I picked up our next poets collection at AWP in Seattle and read it cover to cover. Camilla Aisha Moon is a recipient of fellowships to the Kaveh Kanem Foundation, the Prague Summer Writing Institute, the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown, Mass., and the Vermont Studio Center. Moon's work has been featured in several journals and anthologies, including Harvard Review, Jubilat, Paul Madej for the Academy of American Poets, Oxford American, Lumina, Callaloo, Essence, Gathering Ground. A Pushcart Prize winner, she is also a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award and the Audre Lorde Award from the Publishing Triangle. She has taught English and creative writing for several colleges and organizations. Moon holds an MFA in creative writing from Sarah Lawrence College. She is here to speak with us about her collection, She Has a Name, Four-Way Books 2014. Welcome, Camilla. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. Uh, So from what I understand, you were born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee? Yes. I'm the oldest of three girls, so... Mm. Now, what music did you listen to growing up in your home? Oh, wow. Um, I actually come from a pretty musical family, so we listen to a little bit of everything. Um, Country? Of course. (laughs) Cannot be in Nashville without um, knowing country music. Absolutely. And what else? What other music? Uh, My father um, is an R&B singer with a group called The Valentines. Really? Yes, so um, definitely R&B, jazz, gospel, um, some folk music thrown in there, a little bit of everything, rock and roll. (laughs) Um, Do you feel that the music that you listened to growing up affected you as a poet? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm actually writing an essay right now about um, Stevie Wonder's influence on my work. Oh, wow. um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Music is definitely part of what we do when we string words together, and I'm definitely influenced by music. Now, when did you relocate to New York City? Um, when I attended Sarah Lawrence, I, um, I just stayed. And that was about 10 years ago now. So, Did it come as much of a shock to you? The difference in the cities? Uh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I, um, I grew up in Nashville and I lived in the Midwest for about five years in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and that's pretty similar. So that wasn't much of a, of a leap, but yeah, New York was a different world. I often wonder because I was born and raised here, so I, I have no idea what it's like to, you know, come upon the city later in life must be overwhelming. It's exciting and overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I usually ask about um, Poet's family, but we actually learn a lot about your family in this collection. So maybe you could read um, the um, poem Outburst for us on page 44. Sure. Um, And I guess I I should note that this is an approximation of family. Um, You know, there are parts that... um, I guess I shouldn't say it's a strict autobiographical book is what I, is what I mean to say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So could you read for us um, Outbursts on page 44 and then the three following fragments? Sure. Outbursts. Long suppressed shouts gallop through the house, calling her name or asking, 
Who are you talking to? Quells the stampede for a spell. After years of rain tongue, unbridled words break through her mind's gates, bucking against fate. Muggle. Cocooning her became everything. Cocooning means agreeing to become a shell. After cancer, recurrence, cells hobbled by chemo that has since been banned, side effects becoming front and center effects, we share a phantom cord, now a two-way lifeline. She tethers what otherwise would float apart. Each. Mama, if my hands look more and more like yours, I want to use them, use them to gather orchids and zinnias to give you now, rather than bittersweet petals sprinkled on mahogany. I watched you through a cracked bedroom door, sobbing on the bed, with pantyhose around your ankles, dinner still on time. Little sister, dad only brings his shadow home. Each can't beat up the newer bullies alone. Just got my first corporate job, my own place. I am afraid, but more terrified of her not knowing different walls, any other air. We don't look alike anymore. She's starting to look too much like what's left instead of what's ahead. I want to give her the space to look like herself. Thank you very much. Um, I'm, I'm struck by the form that you've employed here, um, the fragments that are interspersed throughout the collection, and I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, when I first wrote um, this collection and I wrote a poem in the different voices, it was one long poem. And um, as I was starting to think about the book, and as I was working with my editor, uh, we wondered, like, what would happen instead of having that one long conversation um, all of a piece, if it's spread throughout the book, if over the course of the collection, these voices are kind of speaking uh, across other poems to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so we decided that was the best route to go in um, organizing the collection. Absolutely. Um, I, I see them as kind of like fragments of, of consciousness, and um, I love the way that their placement puts them in conversation with the poems that come before and after them. Mm -hmm. um, so who was the first writer whose work you connected to? Wow, that's tough. Um, yeah, I, I was an avid reader in school. Um, my mother um, has an extensive library at home, so I read many of her books. Um, so, you know, nursery rhymes, everything all the way up. I guess consciously who I first really um, was aware of as a poet, um, that would have to be um, Nikki Giovanni, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember I saw her read, um, as a, I guess I was maybe 10 or 11, I heard her read Ego Tripping. Mm-hmm. And just the cadence of her words and these images that I sort of understood, but not completely. And the reaction of the crowd to her really intrigued me. So I think that's the first part I remember saying, I want to look at that. I want to, I want to understand that fully. Mm -hmm. so um, is that when you decided that you wanted to be a poet? No, actually, um, that role was a little longer. I, um, 
I took a creative writing class my junior year in high school with a teacher that was very passionate about poetry. And so I definitely think a, a, a big seed was planted in that class. But it wasn't until um, college, getting towards the end of my college um, undergraduate years that I decided, you know, I'm not getting away from this. I think poetry has chosen me. <laughs> and I just kind of resigned myself to it at this point. And we're grateful for that, for sure. Oh, thank you. Um, so the Adrian Rich quote that's set in the collection was a pleasant surprise to me, almost like an internal epigraph. Um, yeah. What made you choose the quote from An Atlas of a Difficult World, and why did you set it in that way? Yeah, I read that book, and, um, you know, she's a master. Mm-hmm. And um, that image and, and, and what she's saying there um, in the context of, of the work and especially the early part of the work that's talking about, um, I guess, the initial reaction of parents understanding that their child is different mm-hmm. um, and would be um, for um, the course of her life. And, um, and thinking about the different reactions of, of the um, parents in the book. And, and, and that, that was just perfect. That was a gift from Audrey. <laughs> Would you like to read the quote for us on page nine? Sure. If your voice could overwhelm those waters, what would it say? What would it cry of the child swept under? The mother on the beach then in her black bathing suit, walking straight out into the glazed lace as if she never noticed. What would it say of the father facing inland in his shoes and socks at the edge of the tide. What of the lost necklace glittering, twisted in chrome? It is almost like Adrienne had her eyes set on your collection when she wrote that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, after I read uh, Frequency, and Ultimatum, I had a revelation that I wonder if you and I can figure out together. Um, mm-hmm. Would you mind reading that poem on page 25? Absolutely. Frequency and ultimatum. Who are you, damn it? Make yourselves known. Spooks and paints that speak only to her. Unholy chorus stalking the shoulders of my parents' third angel. Dog whistle voices take her away mid-sentence. Raisin cackles bar her from sleep. Headsets on the nightstand offer DJ chatter and quiet storm melodies just wide enough to drown them, but she can sneak into rim unfettered by strange music. What do you say? Why can't I hush you when she bristles at your whispers? Decoding crests and troughs that wash past our ears, I must somehow tune into this station on the mental dial when she listens to heavy air my comprehension can't roll. I wish my love static interfered with magnetic tongues, luring her from herself. Find another mind or else. Thank you. I really love that poem. Um, After reading that, I began to understand the parallels of poetry and autism as languages of perception. Um, Autism is and poetry does. They each have a different way of navigating the world of stimuli and emotions. Um, is this something that you thought of or came across when you first started writing these poems? Um, you know, I didn't make that connection on a conscious level, as you've just done. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I think, um, yes, um, there's a poem earlier in the collection that talks about um, 
it bloaters their brains. Mm-hmm. I love that one. And the the idea that um, the emotions are there, they're happening, but the um, the communication of those emotions has been altered, or there's there's a disconnect, a short, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and actually being able to express that. And all writers talk about um, the limitations of language in general, mm-hmm. um, and that we're all doing the best we can with, with, with what we have. And so, yeah, poetry, and it's, it's all utterance. We're all trying to get at meaning the best way that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it also struck me that um, the, the character of the autistic sister is the only psyche into which you do not delve. Um, mm-hmm. And then I wondered if, if she was the form, was the poetry, and, um, you know, making her that which the family uses to communicate. I don't know if I'm overcomplicating this. You can tell me. <laughs> That's kind of how I was reading it. No, I, I think it's in, I think that that does happen, that in a way she, she kind of becomes a divining rod for the family. <laughs> Absolutely. So, no, I, I think that's very perceptive. And I know that this is not an autobiographical collection. Um, it's, you know, inspired by things that have happened in your life. Um, was that difficult to navigate? Um, you know, I, I just, I wrote... And I just tried to free myself up from um, either direction, either trying to stick too closely um, to, I guess, what we say is true. Um, But also just allowing others in. Like, you know, I know a lot of families that are grappling with this. I'm I'm friends that have children now at this point, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, There are different generations of people dealing with autism. So some of us can pause it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the characters and characterizations. Um, but as far as like really getting at the emotional truth of things, I, I, I couldn't really think about anyone else. I couldn't think of, of, of an audience or I couldn't think of um, people, so to speak. Does that make sense? It does. It definitely makes sense. Um, I think it's easier to conceptualize as an idea and not a reality. Um, I understand that. Um, it, you know, of this same ilk, would you mind reading Assembly Required on page 29? Sure. Assembly Required to the man at Black and Decker who harassed her daily. 8 a.m. sharp, you snap part A into part B. The conveyor belt brings more resentment. There are quotas to fill as you wait for the dull ache in your lower back to tell you it's lunchtime. The ham sandwich and moon pie don't nourish. You are pissed working next to someone like her. Heartburn turns you into a swearing, shoving fool full of sour laughter. You are careful to use the urinal fathers from the bank of mirrors. Later, you drag long and hard for 10 minutes every two hours, leaning against weathered brick. She comes home acrid as you smoke every evening. Go ahead. Talk loud and bully the flawless man. Thank you. Um, I know that that these situations are maybe not easy to go into, but um, you inhabit the mind of a person who is unkind to the autistic speaker. And w- was that a difficult thing to do? Um. 
You know, I think since I did come to poetry early and, and that kind of training, and I guess just life training to kind of understand people's motivations, like this can't possibly be just because you don't, you know, you're just a mean person. What, what's the root here? Yeah. <laughs> um, and kind of looking at the situation, um, you know, with some dimension. And, um, you know, this was a situation I actually kind of watched and, and we kind of mentioned over time. And so I started to kind of get a sense of what might have been happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is another case where the fragment that follows the poem um, changes the dimension of the poem. Would you read the fragment on the next page? Sure. This man talks about me real bad, Ish. I just try to be nice. Don't know why he acts like that. Sometimes they don't speak. It's like I'm not here. I don't like the job. It's too easy and boring. I can move out with y'all, go to college, get a car, and have a good time. I miss you. That fragment broke my heart a little. Um, thank you very much for for reading it. Um, so, you know, just like the title of the whole collection, many of these poems seem to be addressing, um, you know, slights or wrongdoings against the, the character. Um, are the poems letting the speaker say everything that they couldn't say back then? Yes, that's that's been an interesting development with this condition. I mean, there's different, it's a spectrum, so there's different degrees of autism. Um, and my sister's pretty high-functioning, mm-hmm. and so she hits a lot of the milestones any of us hit, um, but they just happen to be later. <laughs> it's just on, a, I guess, a different timetable. And so, yeah, we would find out how she felt about things years after they happened, once she had the words and, and the ability to frame her emotions. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, I guess it is an attempt to kind of go back and, and, and to these places of silence and, and, and let her speak in that way. So what are you hoping that... Um family and friends and, and people who, who live and love autistic people or people on the spectrum will gain from reading your collection? Um, you know, things are very different now. When um, We grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, and there wasn't a lot of awareness. And so, you know, generally when people don't understand something, they just avoid it. They, they act as if um, it's not there, invisible. Um, and that's changed quite a bit at this point. Um, awareness campaigns, different organizations like Autism Speaks that have created a lot of awareness. There's now Autism Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found when I read this collection different places, there's always um, a family member or someone that comes up and just says, thank you. Um, thank you for, for saying it, um, for, for talking about the, the tough and the tender places. Um, and so, um, yeah, I guess just a sense that, um, while the, while there is difference involved in dealing with this particular condition, in many ways, we're all dealing with different kinds of things. Um, and just, we all just need to be more sensitive to each other in general and, and what we're all going through. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah.
Um, so there's a, a definite shift in the collection, and I was hoping that you could read a piece from the latter half, um, Notes on a Mass Stranding, page 65. Okay. Notes on a Mass Stranding. One, huge dashes in the sand. Two or three times a year, they swim like words in a sentence toward the period of the beach, lured into sunning themselves like humans do, forgetting gravity, smothered in the absence of waves and high tide. Two, pilot whales beach themselves when their sonar becomes scrambled in shallow water or when a sick member of the pod heads for shore and others follow. Three, 61 of them on top of the South Island wade into farewell spit. 18 needed help with their demises this time. The sharp mercy of knives still the slow motion heft of each ocean heart. Four, yes, even those born pilots, those who have grown large and graceful, lose their way, found on their sides season after season. Is it more natural to care or not to care? Terrifying to be reminded of fluke who fling anything or anyone out of this world. Five, oh, the endings we swim toward without thinking. Mysteries of mass wrong turns, sick leaders and sirens forever sexy, land or sea, the unequaled rush and horror of forgetting ourselves. Thank you very much. This is one of my favorites in the collections where you are flexing some major poet muscles. And mm. I love it. Um, can you talk a little bit about how it came into being? Yes. Um, so the shift that you're talking about in the collection is, you know, a lot of um, the poems are witnesses um, of the older sister in the collection. And um, then this older sister goes out into the world and has her own experiences, but never quite leaves the family. The family she takes the family with her in a lot of ways, um, emotionally and mentally. Um, and so this collection, um, Notes on a Mass Stranding, um, you know, I, I actually saw a news um, clip about this happening, and I just thought about you know, the ways in which we're just the same way. We're just we're following the current, and, and, and sometimes we're not even thinking about what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're part of this school or we're part of this group. And um, so I guess that that's where it was born, like the, the conflation of those two ideas, this daughter that's never not part of this family, no matter where she goes in the world, and then what was happening with um, these whales um, in Australia. So no, that, that's a really um, stunning connection to make. And one th this one resonated with me and it sat with me for a while, the idea of just suddenly you're beached and, and not even aware of, of the, you know, the, just the slight deviation that can lead to your ultimate demise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So is there any poem in here that, that you would like to read to us that um, I haven't chosen? Um, you can say no. I, I've actually never, never asked a poet that before, but I just feel like like there's so many dimensions to this collection that um, if there's something that I haven't touched upon, I just want to give you the opportunity to bring it up. And I thank you for that, Jennifer. Um, I think I'll share No Room for Gray. Yes, 
no room for gray. Between is a hard place to live. She shuns wheelchairs and mongoloid faces, mad that her mind will fight to keep her quarantined from her own car, yard, babies. You are or you're not. You're sick or you're well, one thing or another, but it's never that simple like breathing should be. Between is a hard place to live. Each morning, she stretches her fingers toward a life just out of reach and grudgingly squeezes into a seat at a table that bumps her knees. Why did you pick this poem? Because I feel like it's one of, it's a piece where um, no matter what situation you're, you're thinking about or discussing, um, a lot of people can, can kind of relate to being in a place um, where they're not quite one thing or another. And, and this, there can be a beauty in that, but there's also a pain because we like things to be in their place. We like things to be easily identifiable. Yeah. And um, most of us aren't. Um, most of us are very complex, and so um, Can I, I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess this one, um, it resonates a lot because also thinking about my sister, she's 36 now, and, um, you, you know, you see all these things that, you know, the promise and the things she'd like to do, and it's like there's this thing that's like keeping her just from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's beautiful and it's painful at the same time. Mm. Uh, yeah, this was an excellent choice. Um, I, I can, of course, relate with it. I think everybody can. The, our resistance to being compartmentalized, and sometimes we're really comfortable to just be in those those areas that you know either are or are not. Thank you. Um, so, who are you reading right now? Oh my gosh, there's there's a wealth of things out and um, lay it on us. Well, I'm sad that um, the summer is as short as it is, and I, I'm actually teaching, so I, I don't have as much free time as I'd like mm. um, to really dig in. But um, I recently read "Ain't No Grave" by T.J. Jarrett. Okay, and um, that's a very powerful collection out on New Issues Press. Um, about family, about the South, about history, um, and how all of those things connect. So I highly recommend that book. Um, Kathy Lynn Chase, Split, beautiful collection. Um, that just came out. Okay. And um, Tarthia um, Fazula's um, Scene mm -hmm. is really beautiful. Um and I don't have it in hand yet, but um, it's about to come out. Um, let's see. The new collection by Eugenia Lee. Okay. Um, I am I, really looking forward to reading that book. Thank you for that list. That was an awesome list. Mm. Um, so for our last question, what would you be if you couldn't be a poet? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um... Well, I have found that I do love to teach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know some people teach because they're like, oh, that's the job that will give me the time to write. <laughs> um, but I, I love um, that connection with students and helping um, 
something that may have been a riddle to someone finally become clear. Like, I love the challenge of doing that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a translation of sorts, you know? Yeah. Um, my sister, again, thinking about audience, I think that um, our relationship has had a lot to do with that. Uh, me and my other sister would always kind of have to translate the world around us for her or help her. Um, with it, and so we became very adept with that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, the poets work too. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So all of that, I think, flowed together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> we should just call you a translator, across the board translator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we've taken quite a bit of your time, and I really want to thank you for um, speaking so candidly with us, and um, I hope that you. I hope that you will consider us again for your next collection. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. And, uh, you know, the site is wonderful. Thanks for this invitation. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, For New Books and Poetry, I'm Jen Fitzgerald. And remember to support all the arts, but especially poetry. 